With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Sunday night. September, what, 24th, 25th, 26th? I don't know. 26th. Oh my God, it's almost October. Where did the time go? Hey, Mark, you know, this is interesting. We've barely texted, we've barely even spoken all day long. But before we get into the show and talk about this race that happened this weekend at Sochi for the Russian Grand Prix, is it fair enough to say best Russian GP ever? Is Am, am I going too far? Or is, is, is that par for the course? I think, I don't think it's a stretch. I think that's very, very fair. And I think based on some news that we learned earlier today that 2022 will be the last iteration of the Russian Grand Prix that we will ever see in Sochi. I think you can probably now chalk this up as the best Grand Prix we will ever see at Sochi. Because (laughs) as we described during our last podcast, the race will move just northeast, northwest of St. Petersburg for 2023 at Agora Drive. So if you enjoyed Sochi today, make sure you tune in next year because that will be the last that we ever see of this track. Well, you know, the thing is, if uh, Bernie Ecclestone was still running Formula One, I'm sure he would have a kind of a special hotline into Russian senior leadership. And they, you guys want rain? We'll get you rain, you know. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> anyways, joking aside, yeah, it really made for an interesting uh, weekend. I mean, qualifying was uh, was something else. I mean, it really turned the grid upside down, and it was it was spectacular. I mean, the thing is, if you go back, and maybe I should just uh, go over the race classification here before we do that. But I mean, the funny thing is that if you go and actually see like the final, the the, the final or like how it played out without actually watching the race or the race itself, you would be completely misled as to everything that went on on Sunday afternoon because you have Lewis Hamilton winning. I mean, congratulations to Lewis. First driver to 100 race wins in Formula One. That is a magnificent achievement in and of itself. Max Verstappen coming in second, which, you know, I mean, who would have thought that was going to come? You know, after everything that happened, Max starting at the back of the grid, kind of putting a token appearance in qualifying just to go out and kind of do the bare minimum he needed to do, finishing up second. But I mean, he was carving his way nicely through the race order. Wasn't easy. Didn't look like it might kind of turn out the way that they wanted, but uh, top five uh, finish. And it was yet Carlos Sainz, who was, where did that come from? Like uh, at the start of the race, Carlos had a very good opening phase to the race. Danny Ricardo in fourth, Valtteri Bottas fifth, Fernando Alonso sixth, Lando Norris Oh, we'll talk about Lando and poor Lando, what happened to him Sunday afternoon. We'll talk about him in a minute. Kimi Räikkönen in eighth, Sergio Perez ninth, and George Russell in tenth. Uh, George, uh, another fantastic outing on Saturday and also pretty impressive on Sunday. Anyways, now this is where it gets interesting, is when you look at the Drivers' Championship, it's <laughs> it like it was, I love how during the race they're kind of doing the live updates here and there. Anyways, by the time it was all said and done, are, are, okay, before I do this, are we rounding up now officially? Are we going to go with the half points? Because, you know, obsessive conf- compulsive people like myself are just uh, crazy about this, but whatever. To be accurate, Lewis, 
back in leading the, the, the championship, 246 and a half points, two points ahead of Max Verstappen with 244 and a half. Valtteri Bottas still hanging on to third in the Drivers' Championship, 151. Lando Norris has Valtteri well within view now. He's got 139. Sergio Perez, 120 rounds out the top five in the Drivers. Constructors, yeah, there's a bit of daylight now growing between Mercedes and Red Bull. The Silver Hour is 397 and a half points, a little more than 30 points ahead of their Red Bull uh, rivals who have 364 and a half. McLaren now in front of uh, Ferrari, or I guess they have been uh, all along. 234, Ferrari 216 and a half, and then Alpine rounding out the top five with 103. So, Mark, big deep breaths, <laughs> sit back, relax. And I'll be honest, you know, th- this race I found captivating right from the word go and everything that was happening just with that really crazy grid that we saw. You had, uh, well, maybe we should read out the the, the, the grid as well. But, uh, you know, it, it was interesting too, because Lewis had the opportunity to really kind of stamp his authority on this race before it even started but then in the pandemonium in the wet conditions in the damp going into the wall <laughs> right at the end of Q3 you know fortunately for Lewis he only damaged the the the, the wing he didn't actually damage the, the the suspension or steering arm or something like that but it just messed things up enough that he had one chance to really well I guess everybody at that point in Q3 only had one chance to to, to nail it but Lewis at that point was kind of chasing it a bit and it gave Lando the opportunity. Well, I guess Lando snatched the opportunity to take pole. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think this and I'll just share my thoughts on the race in general real quick before we start diving into the the intimate details. But you're right. It was a crazy race. It was an exciting race. It was a thrilling race. And for me, I I posted out a tweet a couple of days ago, shortly after qualifying, and and I said, dare I say this weekend is shaping up to be fun. And by that, I I reflected back on the last couple of races. You you know, I think we had high expectations for Zandvoort. Zandvoort was a little bit dry. It was a little bit boring. It was also cast seven days after the disaster that was the Belgian Grand Prix, Mm -hmm. which lived in the shadow of the Hungarian Grand Prix, which lived in the shadow of the British Grand Prix. So we had this sequence of races where there was a lot of negativity. There was a bit of a shadow over the competition, over the championship. This race, this weekend, it, it felt good. It felt fun for all of the reasons that you described. Qualifying was exciting. The outcome was fantastic. I was incredibly, incredibly excited going into Sunday morning into the Grand Prix simply because the lineup, the front row was different than we'd seen before. Lando was in a position where we knew there was a very, very good probability he could put himself into a position to win a Grand Prix. We had discussed before the season, we discussed at the midseason break, who would ultimately break through and win a Grand Prix first? Would it be Lando? Would it be Carlos? And then suddenly we're in a situation where maybe the two of them could legitimately battle for a Grand Prix when Lewis, you're, you're right. He, he made a couple of mistakes earlier in the weekend. Obviously, he hit the wall coming into coming into box during the qualifying session. Ultimately, backed up Bottas. Didn't give Bottas the shot to qualify that maybe he would otherwise have had. Obviously, he made a mistake earlier in the weekend when he came into box and, and struck a mechanic at the front of the car. First time that's ever happened. He wasn't particularly sharp. I think for them this weekend, they had high expectations simply because, to your point, and you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, they've dominated at right 
Russia since we we returned to Russia since we landed in Sochi in 2014. I think for Red Bull and Tim Haraney said that best on TSN earlier today, this weekend for that team was all about damage limitation, knowing that this wasn't necessarily a track where they were going to excel at based on historic uh, kind of expectations and historic historic norms. They, they went into this weekend with that mindset and ultimately they stuck a new power unit in the back of Max Verstappen's car, which required them to take a fairly significant penalty. But I think they were okay with that because I don't think they expected to be ultra hyper competitive here anyways. And I think they looked at the back of the calendar. You look at Turkey and you look at some of the races remaining. They likely felt very, very confident about being successful in those places. And if they were going to take that penalty anywhere, this was probably the best place to take that penalty. And we'll probably speak to this a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. obviously the weekend worked out in a way for Red Bull that they probably weren't expecting. But for Lewis, to your point, you know, ultimately starting P4 on the grid, there was always going to be an opportunity. He probably wasn't going to win this race without the circumstances that begin to arise around lap 46, 47. I mean, there was a shot. He was, he was obviously close, but I think he did everything that could have been asked for him during the Grand Prix on Sunday, but ultimately I think what was really challenging for him was ultimately he gets up on that podium, he looks left, and guess who's standing there? It's Max Verstappen, <laughs> despite the fact that he started all the way at the back of the grid. So for Lewis, I think it's a little bit of all of that, that performance taking taking the win and ultimately Max still finds a way to stand immediately next to me on the podium and the the separation in the drivers championship is just two points now going into a sequence of races mm-hmm. where you have to expect Red Bull are going to be very very fast very very pacey and potentially very successful and I say that really referring more specifically to to Max's performance but that's just a quick summary of my feeling on the weekend I think it felt good there weren't any negative stories that kind of cast a shadow over the weekend as we've seen in some previous weekends. It felt fun. I feel really energized now in a way that I really haven't since prior to Silverstone. And I feel really good about the remaining seven races on the calendar. You know, it's interesting. I, th- I think we've mentioned it a couple of times in the past uh, couple of months that every time there's something's happened, it, we, we've said, I feel now like equilibrium's been restored to the championship, but it always felt like a little bit forced, you know, in hindsight, right? But very much for all those reasons that you just outlined, Mark, I, I feel very much the same way. I think that this race really did something to it. I, I mean, I think it's a, a nice way to wipe the slate clean, I guess, which is a you know, nice analogy to make considering the rain wiped the slate clean at Sochi there on Sunday afternoon. But it it kind of it was a good race because it was historic Lewis winning, you know, Max still finds a way to get, get onto the podium, but it wasn't easy for anyone. I mean, Max, he was flying in the first half of the race. I, I was surprised that he came in as early as he did. I thought that just the way that he manages his tires usually, I thought that he'd be able to extend a little bit longer than he did. And then in that middle phase of the race, I think that um, I was surprised that he sort of he held station a little bit and then he seemed to be struggling because he, he, he was passed by Fernando Alonso and it didn't look like he was going to get around Fernando. And then it looked at one point he was under pressure by, I think it was Danny Ricardo was uh, behind him at that point. And then I, I think he just kind of like settled in where he was. I was thinking, you know, it would have been great. I think for Max and his t- championship aspirations, you know, to get a top five finish. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, he's going to end up about seventh, maybe eighth the way that it's going. 
And then I was kind of switched my focus onto the battle at the front between Lando and and Lewis. And Lewis in that final phase anyways looked like he was in, a, in the ascendancy anyways. And, and he was about a second, maybe 1.2, 1.3 seconds behind Lando. Every once in a while, he'd dip under that magic one second mark when did to get the DRS. And I think they did mention it on the race broadcast that it looked like the way that it was setting up that Lando was just doing enough, even though he was fighting him off and said after the race that it was going to be very difficult to to keep Lewis behind him had the race not turned out the way it was with the torrential downpour at the end, which I think is fair. But I I think that it was outlined nicely on the race broadcast. They said that uh, it looked like Lewis was going to get one shot at at Lando. Of course, that never happened legitimately. I mean, it was legitimate the way that he passed him, but I mean, we were expecting that he'd get one shot to uh, make a move on Lando. And of course, the clouds opened and then all chaos and mayhem, all hell broke loose. It's it's funny. Ultimately, I was satisfied with the weekend. I was satisfied with the Grand Prix. I'm not super excited that we ultimately saw a Lewis Max 1-2. I, I wanted to see something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I wanted the the drama associated with the championship to continue to perpetuate. And I wanted the suspense to continue to build as we go into these seven final Grand Prix. But it's almost like the motorsports gods were watching. And as the race began to proceed, they're like, no, no, no. We can't have a Lando, a Lando win. We <laughs> (laughs) can't have a Carlos Sainz win. And they reached down and they helped interfere with this Grand Prix because all of a sudden you had Lewis, who was, to your point, battling. I mean, with, I think, three, six laps left, almost immediately prior to the downpour, he was about a second behind Lando. He was very, very close. I think he got within 0.2 seconds, two-tenths of a second. So he was close and he was battling for that race win, but Max was nowhere. I mean, ultimately, if you Mm -hmm. look, uh, lap 48, Max was P7, three and a half seconds behind Ricardo. And I think at that point, Max was probably supremely satisfied with that as a result. If he was to finish P7, starting from the back of the grid to collect those points, to cash in those points, I think he would have been very, very, very happy with that result. But ultimately, the motorsports gods interfered and we ended up with our (laughs) conventional Lewis Max 1-2 or Max Lewis 1-2, whatever the case might be. But again, it looks like this championship once again, is going to go down to the wire. And for all the reasons our listeners know that that works out perfectly for me because I will be able to report on it potentially <laughs> live uh, from Abu Dhabi in December. But it was a great weekend. Again, like I said, and this might be controversial, as much as I want Lewis to get to that century mark, as much as I want him to become a centurion for all the reasons that he deserves and for all the reasons that we'll continue to discuss now and into the future and for years to come, I just wanted to see a different result. And I felt like the weekend was setting up for that. And ultimately, we're going to get into the reason why potentially it didn't happen. But we ended up with that conventional Max Lewis one, two. Well, just uh, before we head into the break here, Mark, uh, that, just going back to my comments right off the, the the top there, it's just like, if you wake up on Monday morning, you didn't get a chance to yes, watch the exactly. race today. And you see that exactly. you're probably like, meh, that's a hard pass, but you're really going to do yourself an injustice because it really was a fun race to watch. And I must admit that usually when I'm watching a race, I'll get up at different points, you know, maybe get a drink or, you know, sometimes I got like some working on a couple of things around the house. I'm like, okay, I'll come back in a lap or so or whatever. And you know, I keep the volume up so I can 
break into a sprint should something exciting happen. But I found myself glued to the TV the entire 53 laps. Anyways, time for a quick break. When we come back on the other side, I want to uh, circle back and talk about what you hinted to so nicely was it was setting up very nicely for anything but a Lewis Hamilton, uh, Max Verstappen, one, two, in whichever order it was. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Okay, well, welcome back to the program. You're listening to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One with Mr. Mark Daly and Mr. Mark Hamilton. We were talking about the, uh, well, talking all over the place before the <laughs> before the break because there really is so many things to cover. But like you said in the first segment, Mark, this race was really setting up for something nice and it really looked like it was going to be. I mean, ultimately, when you have somebody like Lewis recording a milestone achievement, of course, that's a special uh, afternoon. But, you know, I must admit, I feel very cheated and very disappointed for Lando. I feel very much the same way for him like I did for Charles Leclerc in 2018 when he had those mechanical issues in Bahrain and had that uh, that that victory snatched away from him then. But, I mean, let's kind of set this up a little bit. So this will be the, the first five rows from the starting grid on Sunday afternoon. You had Lando Norris on pole, Carlos Sainz in, uh, on, in P2 and the Ferrari. You had George Russell starting third on row two next to Lewis Hamilton. You had Daniel Ricciardo, Fernando Alonso, row three. Then you had Lance Stroll, Sergio Perez, row four. And then you had Esteban Ocon and Sebastian Vettel and on row five. And of course, as we mentioned, you had Max Verstappen starting at the back of the grid. You had Charles Leclerc starting from the back of the grid. You had Nicholas Latifi starting at the back for all these reasons and guys uh, changing power units and all these different things that, uh, that that we were expecting coming into the race, especially with Charles, especially with Max. And it was interesting, as much as Lewis didn't nail it in qualifying. He didn't nail that start because it was interesting the way that they all got away. Lewis, sorry, uh, Carlos managed to get his car in the right uh, position. He managed to get that toe. Uh, Lance got a good start there as well. And Lewis just found himself 
looking for a bit of real estate, found himself a little bit uh, pinched, and he dropped down to, what, seventh by about the the, the third corner. Anyways, it really it, it was really interesting the way that it, it started, and it was apparent right away that Max was going to really claw his way up, and I, I was wondering at, uh, at one point, you know, could Max, just by pure you know, superiority in his car, power his way up into maybe a podium position. This is even before I knew they were hinting at rain all afternoon long, but it certainly seemed that way. But it was not a great start for Lewis. And I mean, that that's why, as I've said already twice now, that if you just look at this result alone without watching the race, there were so many different things going on. Lewis didn't romp away to this one. Max had to work for it. And neither of them looked like they were going to score the results that they did. And then on the flip side, you got to feel so bad for Lando because it was just one of those judgment calls and he thought he could stay out and another lap, maybe another two laps, didn't think the rain was all that bad. And then it just was a torrential downpour. But on the flip side... Lewis extended when Mercedes wanted him to come in and I mean ultimately he did go in switch on to the inters and it made all the difference I mean Lando just trying to extend as long as he did just it was the it was the wrong call he's obviously going to learn from it the team will learn from that I mean it seems incredible to make that statement about uh, a team like uh, McLaren but still it was the, the the wrong call that they made and they paid for it and it's it sucks if you're Lando Norris but definitely something you're going to learn from. And his time will come. Much like Charles, his time will come as well. Yeah, I definitely have some thoughts on this. I I, I feel like Sunday was a bit of a race of, I shouldn't say a bit of a race. It was a Grand Prix of two races. You mm-hmm. had everything leading up to about lap 46, which in itself, to your point, was pretty exciting. You had Lando in the lead. He gave it up early. He clawed it back at lap 13. George Russell qualified exceptionally well once again, which we didn't really talk about. He holds on to P3 for a, for a while, uh, ultimately gives Lando and Carlos some space at the front because he creates something of a, a train in that that midfield. So a lot of the, the more I would say legitimate podium contenders were getting backed up a little bit. But Mm -hmm. what I did do, because I wanted to, I needed to go back and revisit this a couple of times because again, to be fair on the West coast, I had to get up at 4.30 (laughs) AM for qualifying. I fell asleep again and woke up for Q2, but I actually woke up at 4.30 AM Pacific time today to watch the Grand Prix, which I watched the entirety, but it was all a little bit blurry. So I went back and I recapped everything from lap 45 on because I've got some questions for you because I'm not quite so sympathetic to McLaren and to Lando Norris. I, I think most of F1 Twitter and F1 Reddit and the global motorsports community is. So I'm just going to back this up real quick. So lap 45, it's a 53 lap race. Mm-hmm. Lap 45, we hear on the radio, Peter Bonington, Lewis's engineer, that rain is coming. And I quote, there is a risk of rain. Lap 46, sky spans or pans to the crowd and you start to see the crowds pulling out their umbrellas, putting on their raincoats. They're they starting did, to get yeah. ready. And then all of a sudden we hear Lando's engineer come on the radio and say, hey, Lando, the umbrellas are coming up. And Lando responds, yes, it's spitting. Lap 46, there's now a one second interval between Lando and Lewis. Lap 47, Lando goes off hard, but does recover. But Hamilton is right behind him and gets to within two tenths of a second from an an, uh, interval perspective. So it's getting close. Lap 47, so six laps left. Nobody has come in yet. Lap 48, Sergio Perez has now moved into third place. So if this race completes without the rain, there's no moisture. Red Bull's getting a second or is going to get a 
podium anyways. Sergio's going to put in one of the best performances of his career with that team aside from the victory, although there are some unique circumstances there. Max at this point, so lap 48 when Perez moves into third place, Max is P7, three and a half seconds behind Daniel Ricciardo. By lap 48, every car is starting to struggle. Nobody's got grip. They're going wide in corners. They're going long. It's starting to look a little bit ugly. Lance is the first car that comes in. His engineer comes on the radio, says you're boxing. He says nothing. He comes in as requested. He gets onto the inters. Lap 48, Peter Bonington comes onto the radio for Hamilton. Box, 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 box. Hamilton says nothing, doesn't come in, despite the fact that the mechanics are out ready for the change. And at this point, the commentators on Sky Sports are speculating, was this a bluff or is Hamilton just persistent and wanting to stay in contention for the race win? Lap 49, Lance drifts into Seb. Terrible performance by Lance today. I'm going to be very honest. I was very, very disappointed with his performance. No damage, luckily, for both of those cars. 49, track is very, very, very slippery. So William Joseph, uh, Lando's engineer, gets on the radio and reports to Lando, hey, track is very slippery, lots (laughs) of cars going off, to which Lando responds, shut up into the radio very, very clearly. Lap 49, Max Pitts, Carlos Sainz, and Ricardo Pitts. Lap 49, Lando, what do you think about going on Inter, says his engineer, William Joseph. What what do you think about going on to Intergears, he repeats. Lando says no into the radio. At this point, seconds later, Hamilton comes into the pits. He reports, though, to his race engineer that it stopped raining. His race engineer is very clear. No, there is rain coming. There is more rain coming. Lap 50. Lando is out there battling with the Haas cars. We know he's in trouble at this point. Stroll crashes into the back of Gasly, then goes off and destroys his own race. Lando at this point has no control over the car. Lap 50, it is now pouring with rain. Lando is still on his slicks. Hamilton within maybe 10 seconds comes from four seconds back to pass Lando and take the race victory. So my question to you, knowing that we've kind of set the scene here, is who's at fault? Is this a Lando mistake? Did he do anything wrong? Is the team at fault because they weren't more forceful with their orders? Because you look at the orders for for Hamilton, is Hamilton box, box, box. Initially, he was reluctant, but ultimately they come back on. Hamilton, box, box, box. He comes in. I went back on the F1 TV Pro app. I listened to the race radio for multiple teams and multiple drivers. Lando seemed to be the only person who was given a real degree of input into the decision-making process. And ultimately his race engineer served up some soft information, some soft recommendations, but there were no orders. Is Lando at fault here? Is the team at fault here? Were they not giving him information? Were they giving them wrong information? What are your thoughts? Because for me, I don't feel as bad knowing that, hey, if he'd complied with those soft recommendations originally got onto inters maybe he doesn't win the race but maybe he still finishes p2 and he takes a podium what are your thoughts yeah i mean that's a great recap that you had there of those last uh, several laps i mean it really sets everything up uh, nicely first of all i don't think that was the bluff by lewis hamilton and mercedes i, I think, don't think he, so I think, either i, I think, think that was so. a seat of the pants decision by lewis to extend for another lap but I mean, the thing was, like you said, I mean, Bono was on the radio, it was like box, 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 basically, you get in here now. And I do feel bad for Lando, but I mean, that's because I'm a bit of an unashamed Lando Norris fanboy. I want to see him do well. But I mean, 
it was it was a self-inflicted thing. And I, I mean, if you've said you've gone back, you've listened to the race radio from most of the other teams, and he was the only one that was given that much latitude or that much uh, input from the pit wall. Okay, that's fine. But at some point, either his race engineer or uh, Andreas Seidel, the team principal, has to get on the horn and say to him, Lando, get your butt into the pits right now. You're going on to enters. Okay, maybe we're going to uh, give up the, 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 the race win to Lewis, but you know what? We're still going to get a podium. So I think that there is going to be a big sit down at Woking tomorrow. I think that they're going to have to discuss this one seriously. I, I think that if I'm Zach Brown, I'd be like, guys, what the hell happened? Why was this so wishy-washy? Why did exactly. somebody like exactly. why did somebody not have the guts or the, the the wherewithal to get on the line, get onto the radio, tell him to get in, get those enters on there and still salvage a, a good result. Sure, maybe it's not first, but you know, third or second is looks a heck of a lot better than than P7 considering where you started, how you drove all weekend and especially how you drove in the race. I think that this is one of these wake up milestone moments for 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 McLaren. They have nobody to blame but themselves. Absolutely. Julian Palmer made a really great point, and I was listening to him, to him earlier today. His point was, look, I don't think his response, him being Lando Norris, I don't think his response to his engineer, William Joseph, was disrespectful or arrogant when he told him to shut up. He's no. like, try to put yourself in Lando's position. You are leading a Grand Prix. You are four or five laps away from winning your first Formula One Grand Prix. The weather turns in an instant and you're on slicks. You're starting to lose traction in the corner. You have seven times world champion Lewis Hamilton breathing down your neck. Yeah. You need very, very specific tactical information from the pit wall. Hey, you're coming in now because our data shows us that there's rain coming in, or we are going to pit in two laps if these certain circumstances happen. But it was very, very wishy-washy information yeah. that they were giving him. So that first time when he told William Joseph to shut up, it was very much like, hey, it's getting slippery out there. There's lots of cars going off. From Lando's perspective, how is that going to help him? That's not direction. That's just an observation of what's happening, and he already knows that. And furthermore, later on, when cars have already started to pit and there's significant sections of the track that are wet, mm -hmm. once again, he's like, hey, Lando, literally, this is what he said. Lando, what do you think about inters? What do you think about inters? Again, imagine being Lando in that moment. Like, I think a lot of our listeners, although maybe not all of them, have had that moment where you're driving in the snow, it's a little bit sketchy, you're just like focused in because you're so scared you're going to slide through a red light or slide through a stop sign, and you're anxious and you're nervous. Like, I think that's where he was mindset. And if you're going to give him any information, it needs to be tactical and helpful, and he wasn't getting that from the pit wall. And I think the pit wall also set him up for failure as well because they weren't giving him the right information. Oh, and you saw that with other yeah. teams. Like Bonington was very specific and tactical with Hamilton. There's more rain coming. Come in. There's more rain coming. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think tomorrow the debrief at Woking is going to be very significant. Like what data were the other teams looking at that we weren't seeing? Because one of the things that was speculated today as well is maybe the teams aren't all getting the same weather data and different teams are looking at different data points, but some teams certainly know. So well, I don't think he was being rude or arrogant. I just don't no. think he was getting the right data. 
I, I don't I don't have a problem with the driver saying that. I mean, we've heard that oh, and me seen either. that over the years when they need to concentrate, they'll be like, you know, no talking, leave me alone, whatever it might be. But I mean, they're doing a, a complete disservice. Like you said, they're setting them up for failure. I mean, talking in the same tone of voice is like, Lando, what do you think about going on to Inters? Very much in the same, <laughs> yes, you know, the, exactly. the same sort of tone of voice. Hey, Lando, what do you think about going get a pizza and a cold beer after the race? You up for that, bro? You know, it's like, come on, you know. And I, I'd be interested to, very much, like you said, with the weather data, because I don't know which, I can't remember now which uh, uh, pit wall they had. We're kind of doing the over the shoulder onto the, onto the, uh, the, the display there. But you could see on the radar, and you don't have to be a meteorologist to see that what was over this, the, the track, like this crosshair, looked really, really nasty and a lot of really bright colors. And I'm kind of thinking, I don't understand that, but that looks bad. You know, he needs yep. to be knowing that. <laughs> and I, I think that they really did the wrong thing by not giving him that information in a timely manner. Sure, that's fine. If he wants to make a call when he's out on the track, he say, I'm saying one thing. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. But this is what we're seeing. And, you know, we got to do something about it it so the the team i think yeah it's how do you want to apportion blame at the end of the day you probably have to get give more to the the, the pit wall because they need to give him the information but at the end of the day I, I think somebody just needed to make the call if it wasn't his engineer then the team principal needs to get on the line he needs to overrule it you know guys get him in here and uh, we'll cut our losses i mean i mean p7 just that uh, looks really 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 bad about that but I don't know <laughs> if I, I'm Zach Brown, you know, <laughs> I'm going into that one and I, I, I'd love to see, you know, we, we talk about DTS all the time, right? As, as very much as that, uh, that, that very first episode in season three, when you have Lance or sorry, Lauren Stroll in the boardroom with everyone and his sort of icy penetrating stare. I'd love to see this one, especially if like Zach goes in there and like with one arm sweeps all the coffee off on the table or throws a mug across the room or something like that and starts screaming, you know, I think that would be that would make for some good watching but yeah disappointing self-inflicted uh you know wounds definitely and um lando will probably think twice about that uh, next time and somebody needs to sit down with his engineer as well as like dude you know you got to be a, a little bit more forceful and decisive on these things and give your driver the right information all right. Whew. I feel good there. I feel like you know, I, I've bottled this up <laughs> all, all day. It feels good to get it out in, in the open. But my goodness, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, Lance, you know, he hit the pair and uh, the, went up the back of Pierre Gasly. He hit his teammate, like you said, horrible day for Lance. I mean, just an, another black spot on what's been a, a pretty disappointing season. I mean, he gets a 10 second penalty on top of it. And I mean, it didn't look good when he sandwiched his teammate as well. Oh. You know, boy, uh, you know, I, I don't even know where to go with that. I think we're probably the biggest Lance Stroll fans in the <laughs> world of the F1 podcast ecosystem. And it's partly because we're Canadian and we want him to be successful. He seems like a good kid. And we were both very open about how mm -hmm. we had embraced the Aston Martin project at the beginning of the season. But you're right. And I was frustrated early on because he's in P4 early to me, he was as much as much uh, as much at fault for that that train in the middle of the pack as George Russell was because I felt he had the opportunity to pass George a couple of times and he just wasn't he just wasn't being aggressive enough, which is something I think you and both you and I have criticized him for this year. And then just to sandwich Seb like that, like that is just a total lack of 
general awareness while being on the track and mm-hmm. not using your mirrors, that's that's absolutely, I shouldn't say unforgivable, but that is a blatant, blatant mistake. And ultimately, he's extremely lucky that he didn't have steering damage and suspension damage. And he's also very, very lucky that Seb didn't have damage because yep. we've seen contact like that between drivers in the past. And I mean, let's look back at Seb and Charles Leclerc in 2019. They came together and had very minor contact and both of them had to retire. They could both potentially have had to retire. I mean, neither of them finished in the points and with the 10 second penalty that that our friend uh, Lance Stroll has got, he's definitely not going to be in the points, but ultimately it was pretty embarrassing. And then for him to plow into the back of Gasly and then go off later was just, it was a terrible, terrible race. And there was some footage that was, I don't want to say leaked, but there was some footage floating around on the web later where Seb, and you couldn't hear what was being said, but Seb was in the garage with Lawrence Stroll Mm. and it was a very, very animated conversation. And it wasn't clear necessarily in what direction, who was being offensive and who was being defensive. But I think the frustrations have got to be starting to boil over at Aston Martin. And I got to think that Seb is, is, is one of those guys that is on the brink at this point. Yeah, that, that's a great point. It makes you wonder. I mean, I know he was uh, being really positive just uh, earlier this week when, you know, talking about this uh, option that he's going into his contract for 2022. But, you know, as good as that team was and as fun as they were to watch in 2020, I mean, they, they just have not been there all year. I mean, even before we got to uh, Bahrain for the very first race of the year, I mean, they just uh, could not get it together for, for uh, winter testing. They had limited time on the track. And it really hasn't improved much from there. I mean, they, they've struggled all season. And like you say, I mean, tempers and, and, and patience must be wearing thin at this point. And it's one thing to be excited about going into a new year and into a new car and into a completely new era of Formula One. You still got seven races to, to go in this season. And if this is what's happening at this point, I mean, I can imagine that uh, that tempers are going to flare at, uh, at some point. And it was just it was it was a bit of a boneheaded move uh, from Lance. I mean, you got to be pretty like fair and call it like it is. I mean, he was uh, towards the middle of the track and then he st- starts to drift over at the last moment going into that right-hander and then you know poor old Seb is the one that gets uh, sandwiched I mean he must have known he was coming up the 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 inside I mean again I mean we've been very critical about uh, McLaren in the last uh, several minutes but I mean I, I think on the flip side you know these drivers owe something to themselves because they're teammates and I, I think as well that it wouldn't have hurt if there was a message from the pit wall from to both of those guys it's just like you know <laughs> be careful but then again maybe nobody saw that one co- coming so maybe you give the guys uh up on the pit wall a bit of you know cut them a bit of slack aston martin currently seventh in the constructors championship They're 25 points behind alpha tower honda and to put this into context between the two drivers they only have 11 points finishes this year and aside from seb's miraculous second place in baku their best finish this year is a p5 what were the, whereabouts were they in the championship uh, this time last year as force uh, i was gonna say force india's racing point i mean they would have been what third fourth fifth well no i mean they had that uh, that points penalty as well so excuse me that's uh, changed a little bit but yeah it is uh it is no bueno at that team right now, for sure. Anyways, uh, let's take a, a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side. Still plenty more to unpack for this race, and we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, Mark. Where do we go now? We've got uh, plenty more ground to cover. Do we want to jump into the mailbag? I know we had uh, lots of comments and lots of things. Uh, We were sending some messages uh, back and forth. Oh, I know which one I wanted to talk about uh, first. Yeah, go for it. Was uh, from, uh, let's pull it up, from our good friend and loyal listener, BJ Crabtree. Where did BJ's uh, message go? I thought this was uh, an interesting one. Um, oh, actually, that was from TC. Anyways, um, uh, ah, this is a, this is a good one. Maybe I'll, I'll shelve this one for BJ. Sorry, BJ. We'll come back to this one a little bit later. It's a I little off topic. It's a good one. I want to talk about this one's from TC. This is the one I was thinking when it says, Hey guys, not sure if you uh, plan to discuss this, but I watched the race twice so far. And one glaring mistake that it seems nobody's talking about is McLaren pitting a second place, Danny Ricardo before Hamilton early in the race. Why would they do that when they are, uh, when it was clear that Lando was building on his lead with every lap instead, Hamilton was pumping in laps in clean air and the attack was on yeah i mean i mean we've been very uh, critical about what happened at the end of the race there with lando but i mean just in general i mean their tactics and strategy was just completely out to lunch at mclaren today i i I don't know i'm at a bit of a loss uh, for that one i mean this is um part of the reason that you have two cars on the track right that uh, you've got that second car to create a buffer if uh, he's not able you know that's part of the job is to, to to make life difficult for the guy that's going to be racing against your teammate if you're not going to be challenging for your, for that win the self that that was that was a bit of a head scratcher i must admit but completely you know i guess on brand for mclaren's train of thought and their 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 mindset for sunday yeah, I completely agree. It's funny because I didn't I didn't really process this in the moment when I was watching the race. So I actually no, went back and and rewatched the sequence. So to set this up, lap 15 of 53, it's Norris, Ricardo, and Hamilton. And typically, typically the tire strategy at Sochi so far in the history of this of this track has been it's obviously it's it's usually a one-stop race. Typically drivers will start on a medium, they'll do a short stint, 12, 15, 20, 25 laps. They'll switch over to the hard and finish off the balance of the race on the hard. Uh, by lap 15, you've got a number of drivers that have actually started dropping off and doing their tire change already. So on lap 15, it's Norris, Ricardo, and it's Hamilton. And it's stayed 
stayed that way until lap 23 mm-hmm. when suddenly Ricardo comes in. And Ricardo comes in and he has an atrocious, an atrocious pit stop. Now, when Ricardo boxed, it was a 13.7 second gap. So what TC is suggesting here is if Lando's got clean air, he's presumably going to be able to put in faster lap times than Ricardo. So why not keep Ricardo out as long as possible to keep backing Hamilton up so Norris can continue to build on his lead. So lap 23, they bring Ricardo in. And if you remember, this was when Ricardo had that really awful pit stop. So no fault of the driver, but he gets in there and the mechanic on the front left tire has is having real issues. And it's not because he was having issues getting the previous tire off and the new tire on. He was struggling with the new FIA uh, regulations yep. around and the technical directives around pit stops that are too fast. And this is something we're continuing to see. And we'll actually speak to this in a question in a couple of minutes, but yep. I, d- I don't have, a, I don't have an answer. And it, it could be that, and I also listened to the radio because I wanted to see if Daniel was reporting that, Hey, maybe he was in a position where he was going to lose the spot anyways. And the tire degradation was happening rapidly, or maybe there was a mechanical issue. There's a whole host of reasons, but none of them were abundantly clear to us on any of the feeds through the F1 TV pro app. So I just have to assume it's a, it was a strategy error or they believed he wasn't going to hold the place anyways and they might as well get him in before he starts giving up too much time but great question great question it was and this uh, you know parlays nicely into the next one from Taryn Clark um, she says I'm curious what your take is on what's going on with the pit stops are they being uh, greatly impacted by the changes introduced in spa or just bad luck seems we've seen issues from multiple teams lately I think uh, I think it's both I think that uh, teams are struggling to to deal with this uh, the, these new TDs that came out they're trying to adapt to, to make uh, it seems so very counterintuitive in, in, in Formula One where the, the whole, I guess, the mentality and the, the philosophy and ethos is to make everything go faster and then they're being you know forced to slow down. Uh, and I think that uh, teams are struggling and we're seeing errors made because of that. And I think uh, very much as Taryn points out, I think we've seen it across the board, not just from one team, but uh, from, from sev- several. And it might be kind of an ongoing theme as as uh, as these guys get used to it over the next uh, couple of races. And the error that you're races. speaking to yep. is... Back in June, so we talked about this a ton during the summer because we anticipated that this was going to be proved to is this going to prove problematic? But mm-hmm. back on June 24th, the FIA issued a new technical directive, TD22A, which was all about safety regarding ensuring that tires or wheels were securely fastened to cars. Because the fear of the FIA was, hey, pit stops are getting too fast, and there's a tremendous risk that cars are being released unsafely, meaning that they're going to take off, they're going to rejoin the track, they're going to rejoin the race. A tire is going to come off and it's going to create a crash or some form of hazard. So what happens now is if a mechanic at any of the four corners reacts too quickly to the completion of a stage of the pit stop, for instance, less than 0.15 of a, or 0.15th, 1 15th, 15th of a second. Mm-hmm. I can never, I can never do those multiples in my head very well, <laughs> but 0.15 of a second, the sensor will be invalid. So when the, when each of the mechanics are finished the stage, so, Hey, you know what? I've got my pneumatic gun. I've got the wheel, the wheels mounted. I take my gun, I screw on the nut. There's a sensor and I basically trigger the sensor and it alerts everyone else to the fact that, Hey, my responsibility is done. The problem now is that if they trigger that sensor and the thresholds 
shorter than the FIA would appreciate, that trigger is registered as invalid, meaning that they're now actually required to redo that entire motion. Hmm. And then they have to do it again. So what's happening is these mechanics are doing everything right, but they're triggering the sensor too quickly. It's registering as invalid and the car can't get released. And then all of a sudden they're sitting there, what's going on, what's going on? The mechanic realizes it's my fault because I triggered the sensor too quickly. I've now got to redo that whole motion, trigger the sensor again, hoping that it isn't under the 0.15 second threshold. So we're seeing these instances where these mechanics are doing this motion over and over again because it's registering too quickly. It's creating confusion. And that's exactly what happened with Daniel Ricardo. So to answer this really fantastic question, yeah, it's causing a lot of havoc and it's going to take these times some time to, uh, to adjust for sure. I'll, I'll be straight up and I'm going to be blunt. I think it's crap. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, so I don't like it. I think it's, it's stupid. so stupid. It's the, it's the highest level of motorsport in the world. And you have these mechanics who train for years specifically for this one function. Mm -hmm. And you're going to, you're going to handicap this function. It's, it's crazy. It's almost like if you play golf and you hit a drive over 300 yards, well, that's too far. You're going to have to redo it. But this time that drive better be under 300 yards because that's not sporting. It's, it's crazy. And yeah. I get the whole safety yeah. angle, but Unsafe releases happen, but they're not super common. They're not super common. You know, it'd be crazy. It's like doing like the 40 yard dash that, uh, you know, that's uh, such a, you know, such a benchmark uh, thing in, in football. It's like, no, you know what? You got to slow it down by a tenth and a half of exactly. a second because, you know, exactly. you're going to, you're doing the 40 yard dash too fast. You know, it just, yeah. the defensive line can't keep up. <laughs> well, those guys aren't going to be able to keep up the best of times, <laughs> but uh, completely different style of athlete. But yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Okay. Next one is not from B BJ Crabtree. This is from BJ Miller. This is, this is an in interesting one. So uh, BJ's oh, comment here, and this, yeah, this one, yeah, juicy, spicy, whatever you want to call it. What is Paul DeResta's deal with Lewis? Is there some long-lasting beef like there is with Nico? Being new to the sport, I thought it might be just me, but I see that this is a, actually a pretty commonly held view. It's very plain to see he absolutely loves Max and downplays everything Lewis does. Lewis could land on the moon and he'd say, yeah, but Max got out of bed today, was wondering if he did something specific to him. Great question. I, I have no idea. I have no more background uh, on, on on this one. I don't know if Lewis stole Paul's girlfriend I back do. in high school or something. Okay. So this one is ugly. Tell me. Okay. And it's not something we've addressed on the air. But mm, okay. Paul DeResta, Formula One driver, he drove 2011, 2012, 2013. Yeah. After 2013, he didn't get an F1 seat. He went back to DTM with Mercedes. He got that one ride that one race ride with Williams in 2017 at Hungary. Hungary he yeah. ultimately retired. Yep. So... If you go back and look in the annals of Formula One history, you'll discover that Lewis Hamilton's father, Anthony Hamilton, was actually a race driver manager. He managed Lewis Hamilton until 2010 when the mm -hmm. two of them separated. And at one point, he was also the manager for Paul DiResta. So okay. I don't want to get into the specifics here, but there was, and it, at least it's alleged because it was, it was quietly settled in court, but... There was at one point an instance where there was an energy drinks deal that Anthony Hamilton was working on for Paul DeResta. Mm. And it's alleged that Anthony potentially, potentially underreported the value of that deal and kept the difference. Mm, and then okay. there was a whole bunch of shady stuff relating to accounting. And then ultimately, when the court summoned 
Anthony to appear and they needed to provide evidence for exploration, all of his digital devices, his computers, his tablets, his phone had all magically vanished. <laughs> so it became very, very controversial at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't a good look for Anthony Hamilton. And Anthony Hamilton ultimately didn't get any additional clients after this. A few years later, Anthony Hamilton then took Paul arrested the courts under the pretense that he had been making unfounded allegations of fraud and competence about him in hmm. the media and to anyone that would listen. So there was a lot of animosity and there was a lot of friction between uh, Paul DeResta and Anthony Hamilton. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily why Paul DeResta has always been so hypercritical of Lewis Hamilton, but even as recently as last year, there was a few incidents where Lewis had run into Paul DeResta and addressed comments that Paul DeResta had made about him in the media. Um, Paul DeResta most recently had made accusations about the fact that Hamilton basically had inferred that Hamilton had a superior chassis. And that ultimately, that's why he was more successful for Bottas. And then there was a chassis swap and Hamilton got Bottas's chassis and continued to excel, at which point Lewis actually directly addressed this with him in hmm. a media scrum where Paul DeResta was doing some interviews. So there's definitely some history here. And I want to make sure that I decouple Lewis from Anthony because there's also all sorts of backstory about the reason why Lewis is no longer managed by Anthony Hamilton. And one of the funny and curious things about that initial court case between Paul DeResta and Anthony Hamilton about the energy drinks contract is it was revealed at that time that Anthony was angry that Lewis had promised him $4 million in severance when the two of them had parted ways in 2010 that he allegedly was never paid. So I want to make sure that we isolate Anthony and Lewis in this conversation. So for sure, there's anxiety and friction between Paul DeResta and Anthony, but there's also clearly some friction and animosity between Paul DeResta and Lewis. And Paul DeResta is a media critic. He's an analyst. He's mm -hmm. free to have his opinions. So I don't know if what's driving his negativity about Hamilton stems from his relationship with Hamilton's father or it's something else, but there's definitely something there for sure. Yeah, there's something. You could say that. But on the, on, on the flip side, you know, if uh, Paul is looking for an energy drinks uh, deal, I'm pretty sure Rich Energy <laughs> might be able to hook him up. Good you call. <laughs> hey, by the way, it wasn't Rich Energy. It wasn't Rich Energy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's another completely different uh, you know, topic of rabbit hole that we could uh, jump down. Hey, let's take another quick break. We, uh, we still have a, a bunch of messages and emails to discuss. We shall, we'll do so in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. We're still talking, obviously, Formula One. We've kind of moved a little bit beyond the, uh, the the Russian Grand Prix. We're now talking and discussing some tweets and emails. Next one comes from uh, Evan. Hey, quick comment. Just finishing the, the Thursday night pod on my way to work. Awesome show. One of the best, I'd say. Now, this is just my lazy, biased American view, but a suggestion I could make <laughs> when you guys are talking about speeds of weight, obviously, it's in kilometers per hour or kilograms. I often find myself in looking that up uh, to put it in 
miles per hour or pounds. Obviously, that comes natural to you and the rest of the world. So I completely understand that maybe you guys could just add an estimate of miles per hour just for the America listening, because I'm sure you guys have a few that could be better understanding if you made the, the quick conversion again. I completely understand. And I totally understand. I work in the land development industry. Everything that we have to do by legislation has to be in 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 meters and millimeters. But all dimension lumber, lumber all the, the the stuff, the architectural plans is all in feet and inches. I'm doing the conversions all day long, and it's uh, you know it's crazy, you know, like the this weird dual universe that uh, we live in. But totally understand, and it is interesting too because I think if you do look at the like some of the telemetry that they put on like during the race feed, I think they'll show something like you know 320 kilometers an hour. And then, you know, 200 miles an hour, something like that. But I completely get it because, I mean, the conversion from miles to kilometers an hour is 1.6 and it's 2.2 to go from pounds or you know, kilos to pounds. So, yeah, doing the uh, the, the mental arithmetic uh, can be uh, you know a little bit uh, inconvenient at, at times, but totally understand. Shout out to Evan. I thought this was a great question. Yeah. And it's the, the, the timing's so funny because I was out running, I think, Thursday or Friday. And this actually, this thought actually occurred to me while I was running. Oh, okay. I think I saw a a sign or something like a premonition mark yeah like maybe we should be doing a little bit of that but i have to say that as much as the world looks upon canada as being one of those countries that's super aligned with metric standards we do an effing terrible job of being a metric country so i'll be totally honest like if you're looking to buy a house in canada you talk about that house or that condo or that townhouse being in square footage i know exactly what the square footage of every house i've ever bought is i have (laughs) no idea what the size is in square meters was it a thousand square meters ten thousand square meters ten square meters no idea and likewise with height i know my exact height in feet and inches if you asked me if you put a gun to my head and said hey how tall are you in 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 i don't even know metric no idea 10 meters (laughs) two meters i don't know hey you're 30 feet tall well (laughs) totally and and likewise with weight like i only know how to weigh myself in in pounds and that's not because i'm unique but it's because in canada i guess there's a lot of spillover from the u.s and we adopt a lot of those standards but likewise if i'm buying fuel for my car petrol um i only know it in liters for instance i when i'm drinking diet soda i only know it in milliliters and in liters i would i would have no comprehension of ounces and then you like me you spent a ton of times growing up in the uk and they're a metric company but their road signs are posted in miles per hour which is really really unique yeah, it, it gets kind of kind of confusing this world that we live in. And it, it's the same thing. Like, you know, I know that, you know, I'm six feet, 72 inches, 1.83 meters. You know, I, I know this stuff because I do it and I do the conversions all day long. But yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny that, it, you know, if, if I say that, um, you know, I lost, you know, one pound, you know, that means to, you know, it, it, it that seems like an accomplishment. Like one kilogram is like, how much actually is it? That? That's actually more. That's like 2.2 pounds. You know, you should be like really excited if you're, you're, trying to get in shape you're trying to lose weight you lost a kilogram because that's actually something that's quite a little bit more substantial but it is it is kind of frustrating same thing you know i know my house is 3500 square feet but you know i I should know this because this is literally what i do and i should have a feel for like you know what is the uh you know the the metric equivalent your house is 3500 square feet it is yeah with oh my gosh Let's be very clear that by Vancouver standards, that is a sprawling <laughs> mansion. I, I, 
Yeah, no, we're, we're very lucky and, and very grateful to be able to, to have the space that we do here, you know. It's a, certainly not uh, not a luxury and, and certainly not, not something that we see th- these days as, uh, you know. Uh, as all of our Texas listeners are like, my garage is 3,500 square feet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It might be something that some of us might be looking to at some point in the future, you know, when real estate finally becomes you know, way too unaffordable here. Although I think we passed that a, a long time ago. Okay. Okay, I wanted to dial it back. There was a couple more here. Let's go. Okay, Javier Ramos. This was an interesting one. Hello, Mark and Mark. I have a couple of questions for the podcast, if appropriate. Again, a Gen DTS fan and as a Latino man in Texas, a huge Checo fan above all else. Do you all think some of Checo's struggle and maybe struggles of other recent Red Bull drivers are due to the fact it seems that Red Bull has designed their car specifically for Max's style and not a more general approach? My other question is, do you believe Red Bull is more focused on the driver's championship than the constructor's? As a Checo fan, it seems they adopt a strategy that hurts his race for the benefit of Max. Example, pitting Checo so late in today's Russian Grand Prix, guaranteeing he would not have a chance at the podium. Love to hear your thoughts again. A new to F1, so still figuring out how teams strategize for a race. Keep up the great work. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Thanks. So that's a great uh, message, uh, Javier. I, I think he's spot on. I, I think that he's picked up on all those points. I think that car is definitely uh, designed to built uh, towards uh, Max Verstappen. I don't think that is uh, anything unusual. I don't think that's a, a deviation from the norm that we've seen over the past uh, several years. As far as the Drivers' Championship, I think that they're pretty determined to win a championship, but I think as time goes on and that gap grows between Mercedes and Red Bull, that at some point maybe they're going to throw more. I think they're throwing a ton of effort into it that way, but you know, Checo for one reason or another hasn't always been able to deliver the results that they need to keep that gap to Mercedes um, close. I mean, it's it's 32, 33 points, so it's not a huge gap, but I would say at this point, I think it is significant enough that 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 Red Bull has to be concerned about it. I mean, the thing is, they could have a good race. They could have like a you know they could have a you know a double points or sorry podium finish. You know, Max and Checo being one and two, maybe Bottas finishes outside of the points or has a DNF or something. So that could change. That gap could uh, shrink or it could grow. But uh, you know, it's uh, certainly uh, you know something that uh, that they have to keep uh, an eye on. But yeah, I mean, it was interesting that the the strategy strategy that they had for Sergio Perez at the Russian Grand Prix. And like Javier points out, I thought uh, it was quite eyebrow raising that they brought him in so late uh, in the race when they did. I'm going to do something a little bit controversial and disagree with you. And really? this doesn't happen very often. Ooh, better make I note of this. For- believe, <laughs> I don't believe that Adrian Newey the chief technical officer at the Red Bull Racing Formula One team based out of Milton Keynes. I don't think he would diminish his efforts to design a car that was limited to the capabilities of a single human being. So hear me out here. I think the perception in the general F1 world currently is that Max is successful because the car is built around the way he likes to drive. So a couple of thoughts on that. One, Max won the first drive he ever had in a Red Bull car. So flashback to Spain 2016. That was definitely not a car that was even remotely developed and constructed for him. And he wins that race. I think it's a couple of things. One, 
I think he has significantly more familiarity with that car. And let's be very honest, when Daniel Ricciardo was driving that car and that chassis, he was also very, very successful in it. Mm -hmm. I think we are now indexing as a point of reference, we're indexing Max against Pierre Gasly, who had half a season in that car. And then we compare it to Alex Albon, who had a year and a half, but was also under intense crushing pressure. And then we compare Max Verstappen against Sergio Perez, who we both love. We're big fans of Sergio Perez, but ultimately I don't think he's put in a great season and he's still himself becoming more and more comfortable with that car. So I think it's less that the car was designed for Max, but more that Max has had more runway and time to be comfortable or become comfortable with that car. And that said, it's not that they haven't listened to his feedback because driver feedback is a big part of developing the car. But let's be very honest, Max was successful from that with that car from the jump. It's not like it was a two-year project where he joined the team and they spent two years redoing the chassis and the suspension geometry and the steering to make it more palatable to his driving style. He was very successful from the jump. So I think obviously they've listened to a tremendous amount of his input and his feedback and they've developed the car based on that because he's an exceptionally talented driver but I also just think he's had more time with this car this is year five for him with this team he's got immense amount of comfort and I don't think it's fair to put him into a conversation with Gasly or Alex Albon in the circumstances around their time with that team and again even if you look at Alexander Albon even when he joined the team he was only four months into his F1 career like that was a quick switch to make but Daniel Ricciardo was very successful with that team I just think he's had more runway with that car to become more familiar with it you know it'll be interesting then next year because uh, that 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 advantage i guess if you want to call it that that max verstappen has have, have been in that team for the amount of time that he has it's not really going to count as much going oh, for next awesome year point because, that 2022 yeah, car for the 2022 car is going to be new for everyone so what's the delta going to be between checo and max uh, next year what's that delta going to be between george russell and lewis hamilton i mean this is going to be new for everyone so i mean anyone that's had a longer tenure or longer stay at one of these teams that has like a newer teammate. And again, uh, another situation that you could maybe draw parallels uh, with uh, between Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen is Lando Norris and Danny Ricciardo. Danny obviously has struggled to come with the, to, to terms with that car, despite winning at Monza a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that was a very impressive uh, weekend for him. But I mean, before that, I mean, we, we've talked about it numerous times over the course of the the, the season to date that it, it hasn't been quite there for Danny. It looks like he's just not 100% comfortable in that car for whatever reason. So I feel like this is uh, applicable to a good number of drivers up and down the grid. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's certainly something that we have to look at. And I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how these guys do. I, I mean, preseason is always a little bit uh, different because they're always running different scenarios and testing different things. But when you get down to the final stages towards the end of the test is is about as pretty close I think to the race trim so I think those last couple of sessions last couple of days of testing might give a good indication how these guys are going to match up against each other head to head all right great question by the way I'll just add on that real quick because oftentimes the question that we get is can you recommend some good Formula One books for me? Just while we're on the topic of Red Bull and Adrian Newey, his 2017 book, How to Build a Race Car, is 
absolutely a must have. So if you haven't picked it up, go to Amazon, go to your favorite independent bookseller, pick up How to Build a Car by Adrian Newey. Hardcover is about 40 bucks. It is worth every penny to have on your nightstand. And I know you would agree with that recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's a great read. Okay, so now we're going to come back. Uh, I, I think we've tortured P- poor BJ for, for long enough. Anyways, uh, BJ Crabtree uh, says, uh, the best race wire to wire to date for me. So many potential storylines throughout the race. My question is, do you think F1 can take off, truly take off in North America without more parity? Ah, great question. And parody defined how uh, just in a baseline package performance wise car to car, because I mean, today was, I guess, almost artificial parody sort of uh, thrust upon the, the the race order on the on the cars out on the racetrack because of um, because of the the circumstances, because of the the situation we saw on the track. I guess you could say the same again for what we saw during uh, uh, qualifying as well. But, you know, that is the big, you know, the big push behind like the cost cap uh, for, for the teams and also a potential salary cap that we uh, hear about that uh, that that is always, you know, where, where there's smoke, there's fire. And it just seems like the next logical step, I mean, that they've done. Uh, you know, what with all these things that they've, um, you know, cost cutting measures and things, the new Concord agreement that was all put in place uh, in the early days of the pandemic. So that seems like a logical thing. But that that's why, you know, going into, tw- into 22 makes it so fascinating because it's going to be the whole new era. You know, the cost cap is here. It's in force. We've already he- heard teams moaning about it this year uh, because of uh, cars that have been destroyed in accidents and all these different things. Right. And one way or another, it, it really raises a lot of uh, questions, you know, like uh, will there be parity just because there's less headroom when it comes to spending money, uh, spending money in R and D? Is it uh, going to hurt teams because you know they can't uh, afford to rebuild cars and you know build uh, you know more parts late in the season? There, you know, th- there's different ways that you can try and create parity, and I-, I wonder, you know, as this sort of sliding scale and the cost uh, cap comes down over the next couple of years, how this is going to you know, really manifest itself. But I think the thing is that when it comes to the amount of money that you have, like there, there will still be a lot of room and opportunity in Formula One to innovate and and really be creative within the rules and the constraints that you have. So the big teams, the teams with all the brain power and and all that sort of stuff, they, like Mercedes and Ferrari, they, they will always have that advantage because they will just be, you know, just by nature of who they are, I think we'll be able to cherry pick the best minds into their teams to develop and build these cars. My good friend, Bert Pinkerton, is going to get a, a chuckle out of this, but uh, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that despite the presence of a cost cap, I think there will always be potential periods of domination by a specific team. And a lot of that could just be, you've got a really great driver in that car, or you've got really great personnel Mm -hmm. and designers and expertise at an executive level to run that organization. I think to answer the question, and I think this is a good question, team sports in the US have flourished despite periods of domination. If you look at the NFL, that that league has been dominated by certain teams over certain periods of time and and no question the New England Patriots were a big part of that that league for the better part of the last 
18 or 19 years. At <laughs> it's least been a long Tom, time, right? Yeah, at least until Tom Brady departed for for Tampa Bay. And never did that seem to impact the popularity of that league. If if there's anything that could be considered a slam dunk in terms of TV ratings and ad revenue in the US, it's the NFL. And there's been some really significant dynasties in that league. And Major League Baseball, when it was very much at its peak late 90s during the during the the steroid era, <laughs> it was absolutely dominated by one very specific team in the New York Yankees. And yep. The leagues will adjust and they'll shift and they'll try to create parity by introducing salary caps and by doing things like expanding the playoffs and by changing the rules to encourage more offense or to encourage less offense. It's something that leagues will always have to do. I think Formula One can definitely be popular in the US with some degree of missing parity, but I think what will really trigger the growth of Formula One in the U.S. is when we eventually get a U.S. driver or a meaningful U.S. team that fans can really rally behind. So when we go to Coda or we go to Miami or we go to Indianapolis or we go to Vegas or we go to maybe to Denver, um, you'll see that ocean of fans rocking the red, white, and the blue because there's an American-born talent on the grid and he or she is somebody that they can rally behind. So to answer the question, I think that despite the lack of parity, it can be be very, very successful. There have been long stretches in NASCAR as well, where it's been dominated by one specific driver like Jimmy Johnson and NASCAR has been exceptionally pop. And again, from a relative perspective, the last six or seven years has been different, but historically there has been real periods of dominance in that sport and it never, it's never seemed to impact the popularity of the sport. Yeah. I I think it will take off. I I think that it's um, really getting it embedded and and really growing it at the at the grassroots level and and really building on on the popularity and the interest that that has really exploded over the past year or so our good friend uh, Vincenzo Landino who's watching on the live stream he says uh, Lando Hamilton Sainz podium would have been solid parity is needed but there are better ways to do it it, it it's not an easy easy and quick uh, quick fix and um, certainly, I don't think there's any quick answers, but I think they've set a lot of, um, I, I think that one, I, I think like the financial um, aspect of it is important. I, I think not, you know, just also from a fiscal responsibility and just, uh, you know, setting a good solid ground to work for, for Formula One is important. I think you want to keep the base of teams stable so you don't have teams coming and going, that teams that are there can focus on staying there in the long term. And if you're there in the in the long term, then you can focus, you can build rather than struggling and and worrying whether or not you're going to be there from one year to the next. And it seems that we're we're seeing some good uh, signs there, despite we may have lost a couple of teams because of the you know the uncertainty that the pandemic caused. I mean, Haas is obviously a big question mark as what's going on with them. But I mean, the other ones seem that seem to were on the on the cusp, if you want to call it that, seem to have stabilized. And we've seen some encouraging signs from Williams, which is a team I was quite concerned about. And if you kind of believe some of the rumors, was one of the teams that was teetering pretty close to the edge of the abyss about a year and a bit ago. So great question. All right. Well, got one more here before we uh, turn off the lights and uh, call it a night here. This is uh, from the email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. This is from Reiko Montoya. 
Hi, Mark and Mark. I'm a new fan of Formula One. And yes, it's because of DTS. I love it. I can't get enough of it. I feel like a sponge and I'm taking it all in. Where has F1 been all my life? I love the podcast. I listen to you guys religiously. I love the content that you guys are putting out. It was because of you guys that my husband and I are going to our first Grand Prix in Austin. So this is where I pause and I say I'm jelly um, as well. I'm going to censor the rest of it. I'm just really jealous. <laughs> Anyways, to pick up Rachel's email, I was listening to the pod at the beginning of the season. You guys were so pumped up. It made me so pumped up. And I told my husband, let's go. Uh, we're also attending IndyCar in Long Beach this Sunday. I wanted to check it out. I think of Indy as the amuse-bouche for the Austin F1 race. So I wanted to ask, do you guys have any tips for attending the Grand Prix? What time should I get there? I don't want to miss anything. Do I need any earplugs? Any tips are appreciated. So that's that's first point or first couple. Second one is for you specifically, Mr. H., and he uh, and Rico says, I wanted to ask Mark if he is planning on sharing any videos or pictures on social media of his trip to Abu Dhabi at the end of the year. I know you're, you're planning on attending, right? I don't know if my, my family would ever be able to attend a race that far. I live in SoCal and I would love to see Pick's video of that amazing trip. Hope this wasn't too long. Thanks for the amazing podcast. Keep up the great work. All right. So the first question from Rico is, Tips for attending the Grand Prix. What time should I get there? Do I not want to miss anything? Earplugs, anything like that. First thing you want to do is make sure that uh, you have the full schedule. You want to check out uh, any of the support races that are going to be going on. Most of the time, you want to be there for if the, the, the pit lane is open, you know, if you're able to go in and there, see what your tickets give you guys access to. Check out all the events that are on the schedule and find out, uh, you know, what you want to take in. I mean, on the races that I've been into has been always a bit of a combination visit to wherever that race was. So, you know, there's always plenty to, to, to do. I mean, uh, you know, when I've been to Spain in the past, Barcelona is a, a wonderful, beautiful city. So there's as many things to do away from the track as there is to track. So, you know, sometimes, you know, time is limited. So make sure you, uh, you know, take all those things. And especially the support races are pretty cool. You know, there, there's plenty that are usually on the card. So check those out. Earplugs, probably a good idea. Everybody's a little bit sensitive. They're not quite as loud as they used to be in the old normally aspirated days. But certainly, you know, those are one of those things that, you know, you'd rather have them in your pocket and not use them rather than uh, not have them at all or leave them in the hotel and uh, be, you know, you know, sitting there with, uh, you know, your eardrums, you know, ready to split uh, wide open. So uh, again, there's a, a lot of things, you know, just, uh, you know, make sure you're just uh, fully prepared. I know you've got a lot of thoughts. So uh, why don't you take it from there, Mark? So I think it's a great question. And thank you for reaching out because this is somebody that's been a big supporter of our, our program and drops into our spaces chat and just silently, silently observes from the sidelines, despite the fact that I'm always inviting you to participate. But I get that a lot of people are looking at me when you said that I participated last week. <laughs> not you. Um, but again, thank you for this really, really great question. Uh, so a couple of things, one, congratulations on being able to go to the conclusion of the IndyCar calendar today at Long Beach. I, I saw your social media posts earlier, and I, I think you've already picked up on the fact that the cars are loud. So to Daly's point earlier, I think earplugs are a, a no question requirement. I think that without them, you can survive, but I would promise you that you'll get much, 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 you'll get fatigued far more quickly than you would without them. So mm -hmm. buy them in advance, find something that's comfortable. You can often buy them at the track, but they can be very, very expensive. So my recommendation is Sometimes you buy some. Sometimes they hand them out for free as well, but that's, that's not a given. 
Exactly. And I would just buy the cheap disposable ones. If you lose them, it's not a big deal. Pack a couple of extra pairs. Learn how to use them in advance because I think sometimes people struggle to figure out how to use disposable foam earplugs. You can go down time. to like your local hardware store and buy them. Make oh, them like little package for a couple. You totally. go down to Home Depot or something like that. They're, they're dirt cheap. Totally. Walmart. Yeah. And I think my recommendations for Coda specifically is when Coda first opened, they had a blanket, you can't bring in anything policy. And I think a lot of people were really upset about that. And they've relaxed that a little bit. You still can't bring in food or drink, which is common um, in a lot of the European tracks where people are used to bringing in their own alcohol and their own food and their own coolers. Mm -hmm. You can bring collapsible chairs. So if you're not going to be sitting in a grandstand, definitely bring collapsible chairs for, for a little bit of, of comfort. Um, I would recommend you figure out parking in advance. Parking, getting in and getting out can be a bit of a nightmare. This event is going to be jammed. It sold out almost immediately. And I was talking to somebody earlier and I don't want to share the specific person online because people might be able to figure out where their, where their significant other works. But this person was saying that their significant other's employer um, typically gives out passes to Coda every single year. And historically, they haven't been able to give them away. This year, they were snapped up instantly, which kind of speaks cool. to the demand. So yep. figure out parking in advance, get there early, and also expect that after after the event, you're probably going to be in the parking lot for a while. So if you need to go to the washroom, go to the washroom before you get to your car. I would get there as early as possible every single day. For me, I get there at the crack of dawn. As soon as the gates open, I'm in there. A couple of recommendations. Use Google Earth. Get to know the layout of the track. Figure out where the concession stands are. Learn where the washrooms are. On day one, especially if you're going to be um, getting in via general admission, you won't be in the grandstands. Do a complete walk of the track. The entire circumference of the track. It'll take about two hours once you get through security, but you'll learn the lay of the land. You'll become familiar with the track layout. You'll figure out where the best seats are, where the best vantage points are. I think that's always really, really fun, but I think you kind of nailed it with the earplugs um, as well. And then typically... Some of the bigger tracks do a Sunday concert, and I know Code is no exception, so they'll have a, a Sunday event as well. That's a good one to go to. And then some tracks as well will make driver drivers available very, very briefly for signing autographs. But typically, it's positioned such a way that they'll bring the drivers out, they'll sit them behind a table on a stage, and you need to be standing in line to get there. At an event like CODA, there could potentially be thousands of people in line ahead of you. So if you do want to get signatures at one of these driver um, accessibility events, just know that you are probably going to have to sacrifice an entire day to line up just for a single team. So it's a long shot but uh, it might be worth doing based on what your preferences are. But just have a lot of fun. Take sunscreen, especially if it's going to be sunny. Um, pack a light jacket as well for the morning, for the evening, because it can get a little bit cool. We've seen moisture at Coda in the past, yeah. so it's not impossible. Um, but ultimately, I think you probably learned a lot from having attended Long Beach today. Just know that you probably won't be able to get as close to the cars as you can at a street course like Indy, where you can just walk up to the barrier and you can be inches or feet away from the cars at a track like Coda, you won't be able to get that close because they have such significant runoff distances and, and things like that, but have fun. I know you and I are both very, very jealous. I know at least 30 or 40 of our regular listeners are going. So I'm both excited and very, very jealous, angrily jealous. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. That goes for me as well. One other thing I'd like to add as well, uh, one other thing, and, and this will vary from venue to venue, from track to track. Uh, one other thing you might want to check depending on where you're 
you're staying, you know, if you've got a rental car, whether you're driving your own car. But sometimes in the cities that, you know, that near closest to the track, some bus company, some tour company may offer a shuttle service to and from the track. You know, I've done that before and it, it can be super convenient, but it's one of these things. It's not kind of like a hop on, hop off. It's kind of like you book your tickets in advance. So I don't have any specific tips for anything like that for Coda, other than that's something you might just want to jump online and search up. But now part two of Reiko's question is, what are your plans specifically for, for Abu Dhabi? You're going to be there. You're, you're, you're making like an extended thing out of it. You're not just going in for a week or two weeks you're going to be in the Middle East for quite some time, but you know, you're going to the race. What are your plans? You know, you got to make it good. You know, there's, there's expectations. I know. So I'm very, very excited. I will also <laughs> share that since we're going to be in the region for the entire winter, um, I'm also looking at potentially trying to find a way to get to Jeddah. So that's, oh, right. that's not a guarantee, but my thought is it's a two hour flight. I'm in the region. If I can make it work, even if I can just pop in for the Grand Prix on the Sunday and pop out again, maybe it would be worth it. I'm also having conversations with the race organizers about potentially attending. So maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't, but obviously Yas will. So I've been before. I, I love it. It's a very, very different experience than a conventional Formula One event. So I, I, I like to compare a traditional Formula One event like Coda or Montreal or some of the events in, in Western Europe or Japan or Hungary. To me, they're kind of like a cross between a music festival and a carnival. And it's just this big mishmash of people you pour in, everyone's eating, everybody's drinking, there's barbecue, there's food, there's music. It's it's just really an exciting atmosphere. Yas is very different in a good way. It's more like a it's more like a tailored arena event. So it's crystal clean. Each section of the track is compartmentalized. So typically when you go to a Grand Prix, you go through the gate and you can walk the entire circumference of the track. You can check out all the general admission perspectives. You can go to all the different food outlets. You can go to all the different uh, merchandising outlets. Yas is a little bit different because it compartmentalizes a little bit. So if you have tickets to one specific section, typically you are required to spend your time in that section. And some of the security gates can be a little bit more lenient to let you in in the days before the Grand Prix. But it is a very, very different event. It's very polished. The grandstands are very comfortable. The washrooms are permanent washrooms, which is something you wouldn't typically see at a Grand Prix. So it's a different experience. It's also an event that takes place at dusk going into the evening. So you get there during the day, the race starts at dusk, and then it actually finishes at night so it's a unique experience and then because it's the last race of the season they typically have a very very big fireworks festival and what i missed last time and i've been kicking myself forever is we were sitting in the main grandstand and we wanted to get down on the track when the when the race was finished because we wanted to watch the podium celebration in person which we were able to do and if you actually go back and look at the footage you can see us on the track but what we missed was we actually had to leave the grandstands to go and line up up for the podium celebration before the race was finished. So we actually missed Nico's celebration. So he <laughs> came back out. He was doing 360s. He yep. was doing donuts. He jumped out of the car. We missed all of that. We were 50 feet away. We missed it all. So this year we won't make that mistake, but absolutely. I will be posting as much social media as I can. So, so pictures and whatever, whatever's allowable. I'll probably send some voice notes from the track. We got to figure out how we'll do the podcast that night because, uh, there's typically a very, very big concert afterwards. So when we were there in 2016, they shuttled everyone after the race was done to a concert venue nearby. 
nearby and Rihanna did a concert, which was really, really cool to see because we're big Rihanna fans, but it's a different experience. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just a different type of Formula One experience. It's very, very polished, very, very catered, um, but uh, still very, very exciting nonetheless. So I will absolutely be uh, pumping the social media feed full of content on those uh, on those days. You know, a couple of things. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm jealous that you're going in just in general, but I'm also doubly jealous because you're going to come back in early in the new year looking so tanned compared to the rest of us that are going to be stuck at home in the doom and the gloom and the, the perpetual rain. But anyways, that's awesome. And uh, I expect you to be nothing less than completely hoarse after that race when we somehow managed to connect to do the show, especially if, you know, there's a concert afterwards. But um, there was a couple of things I just uh, want to mention as well. Also, when it comes to the podium ceremonies, I'm, you know, notoriously lazy about those sorts of things at races. I'm always like, meh, I can't be bothered to run all the way up to start, finish, to go to the podium. I always just tend to, uh, you know, watch it on the big screen or watch it later on. So shame on me. And then one other thing I just wanted to address just in the first part, just about like attending at the circuit, you made a, a just a touch on really briefly was uh, the whole merchandising thing so if you want to go and get uh, you know you're looking to get some mercedes merch or some ferrari merch or whatever if you figure you're going to spend 250 bucks if that's whatever you're bringing you know probably not a bad idea to double it you know just to be uh, on the safe side so make sure if you're going to do that just be prepared for some you know some some super sticker shock when you get to the it can get to the circuit so there's there's and, that and as at well. least at cody you're going to be familiar with the currency i've been at tracks in the past where i didn't understand the currency i'm like i'm going to buy this lewis hamilton t-shirt <laughs> and then i look at my visa statement a month later like that shirt was 170 dollars. so yeah you're, you're better off buying it it's fun to browse but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's more economical to buy in advance and take it with you. Yeah, you know, I've had that same experience. You, you buy something at the track, you're like, hey, that, that didn't seem so bad that when that visa statement comes in at the end of the month after you get home, you're just like... Ooh, I better ask the boss and see if there's uh, any overtime on offer. I got to bring this balance down a little bit. That uh, turned out to, to be a little bit more than uh, than we thought. Anyways, uh, great. I just want to add on. one more sure, real quick thing as well. We had very much absolutely plan to be at Coda this year. To be very, very honest with everyone, for us in Canada, it's not so cut and dry to get to the US right now mm -hmm. or to get back in terms of quarantine expectations and all of those different logistical pieces. So I think next year we're very much committed to being at Coda and or Canada because we want to meet everybody. We had planned this year to do an event on the Saturday night. We planned to do a dinner at a barbecue restaurant in, in Austin downtown. Um, ultimately, it just proved to be extremely challenging logistically for us. And we didn't want to lay out the capital for car rentals and hotel and tickets if ultimately it was not going to be possible for us. So we decided that, hey, let's reduce the stress and revisit this next year. So we had absolutely wanted to go. We know there's some people that are disappointed. We're very disappointed, but rest assured that we'll definitely be at one of the North American Grand Prix next year. And we, we live in a place where we'll fly down over the border to go to Costco and Bellingham to get like milk and butter or whatever, just to, and then just, to, it, it's like a simple thing, you know, and, uh, or it used to be at any rate. So hopefully at this time next year that the world is a little bit simpler and more convenient like it once used to be. 
and we don't have to worry about things like vax passports and quarantines and all these logistical nightmares and things like that. And we're in a much better place 12 months from now. Anyways, Mark, that's all I got for for tonight. You know, this was, uh, you know, an extremely enjoyable race this weekend. It was an eventful race for all of the right reasons. And it was a uh, good fun to watch. We now get what a weekend off uh, before we go to Istanbul Park in Turkey. I guess it's on the 8th, 9th and 10th of October. So it's close, not quite close enough. You know, like as I complained about, I think it was last week that you get used to these double and triple headers. And now as the, the, the calendar has some empty weekends in between, it makes it, um, I wouldn't say less fun, but certainly the, the empty weekends, I find myself having to fill it up. But it's football season. That's uh, th- that time gap is easily replaced. Anyways, I think that's uh, about all that we have uh, for for tonight. Thank you all very much uh, for listening. Thank you all very much uh, for watching. If you want to get in touch, by all means, do so. You can follow us on Twitter at ScooterF1Pod, or you can email us at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And to help us grow the show, by all means, please leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you download and listen to your podcast. We would be very, very grateful for that. And in the theme of uh, Texas and to build on Javier's email, I'll sign off with the following clear hearts or sorry, clear eyes, full hearts and loose. I'm a big fan of Friday Night Lights. I should know this. Anyways, bye for now.